This podcast is brought to you by dpztechnology.com. High Impact Dads was created to give you tools and insights for effective fathering in a hectic world. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review. This certainly will help those who need this information the most to be able to find it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of High Impact Dads. I'm your host, Michael Conan. Joining us today are Bob and Cheryl Recker. Bob is the founder and chairman of Total Life Impact Ministries, and Cheryl is the president of Total Life Impact Ministries. But they'll tell you what's most important is that they have been married for 50 years, have three adult children, and five grandchildren. Bob and Cheryl, thank you so much for being with us. Our pleasure. What an honor. So Cheryl, Bob has previously shared his story and how he was affected by father wounds that he received from both a biological dad and from an adopted dad, and how he has also encountered men during his uh, speaking engagements and his ministry, and these men experienced father wounds as well. Today, we're taking a deeper look at daughters and father wounds. So would I be correct in assuming that you've been impacted and affected by father wounds as well? Surprisingly, Michael, no. I, I really have not related to this idea of father wounds. Not to say that my dad was perfect, far from it. He was a strong guy, he had big opinions, and he didn't hesitate to express them. But when I think of my dad growing up, what I remember the most is the look of delight in his face when he'd see me, the way he would say my name, oh, Cheryl Ann, you are just something. I remember a guy who, even though he was busy, and he was busy. He had three companies. He was on a lot of boards. He was doing all kinds of activities and had a lot of hobbies. I don't ever remember him not being there for the things important to me. He was always engaged. And we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that family was his number one priority. I used to think my experience was the norm. And then as we got involved in ministry, I started speaking at women's conferences and Women would make their way up to me to talk about different things. I realized my experience was actually very rare. I thought all girls felt really loved and appreciated and valued at home, but that was just not the case. Thank you for sharing that, Cheryl. We all wish that uh, we could have childhoods like that. Bob, could you please explain to our audience and remind our audience what a father wound is? Absolutely. Uh, It's easy just to think about when you experience a wound in your own body. Maybe uh, you step on a nail or you have a piece of metal that uh, you didn't see cut a hand or an arm, and uh, maybe it's got some rust on it, etc. Well, a wound is something that penetrates the surface, just like that nail or that uh, ragged piece of metal penetrates the surface of the skin, a wound emotionally or physically or uh, even spiritually breaches the surface of a relationship between a dad and a child or a dad and a spouse for that matter. And just like a wound, if it's not cleaned, cared for and restored so that it can heal properly, with time, it will inevitably become infected. The thing that most doctors and medical personnel fear fear the most is infections and wounds. And so as a result, 
in our emotional life, in our relational life, those wounds that happen that pierce the relationship surface and get down to the core of things like trust, love, insecurity, et cetera, they have to be cared for, cleaned, and restored, or with time, they will become a challenge. Well, that's a powerful image relating emotional wounds to physical wounds. So how can someone determine whether or not they've been affected by father wounds? Well, one of the ways that uh, we tried to help people be able to do that is when I had the privilege of doing the book, uh, Ending the Cycle of Father Wounds, on the third chapter, a friend of mine who is a tremendous Christian counselor, over 40,000 hours, Michael, of helping people with issues, many of which sadly go back to a strain, a wound, a hurt uh, between them and a dad or a stepdad or an adopted dad or an absent dad. And uh, he put together a self-diagnostic tool that in about five minutes with a pen or a pencil, somebody can go through, answer the questions, then it tells how to total those questions according to some different categories. And then it says, if it scored between this and this, you probably didn't experience many father wounds at all. And you ought to thank your father for that and say, boy, I appreciate so much what you did in my life. But if it's between this and this, you probably have some. If it's between this and this, you have more than a few. And if it's at this level, you have some issues that you probably really need some help in addressing and working through. So it's very helpful, very simple, and it can be done by anybody, anywhere, under any condition. And that's right in the book. And they can get that at my website, which is simply www.bobrecord.com. And just go to the bookstore. And it's the first book that pops up. That's excellent, Bob. And I can tell our audience, as a licensed therapist, I've taken a look at this self-assessment tool. And it is absolutely mind-blowing. Highly recommend that if someone believes that they've experienced father wounds, or even if they're just discerning, this is definitely a tool that they need to take a look at. Thank so, you. Cheryl, previously, Bob shared that the greatest need of boys and men is, to feel, is the need to feel adequate. And their greatest fear is to feel inadequate. They need to hear things from their dad like, I love you, I'm proud of you, I'm so glad I'm your father. What does a daughter need most from her father? You know, I think girls, of course, are just short little women. And just like short women and tall women, daughter's greatest need is for security. And our greatest fear is insecurity. That security is going to come from the most important, loving relationships in our lives. It's having a dad who delights in you. The one who's going to comfort you when your world is crashing down. It's the dad that communicates, if this is important to you, it's important to me. It's the dad who looks at you and, and says and, and acts like you are the most beautiful little girl in the whole world. And it's the dad who keeps you secure by being emotionally safe. So what are some of the ways that you've seen dads wound their daughters? You know, honestly, so many of these are simple. And I think a lot of dads don't realize that they do it unintentionally like just not giving their daughter focused time as they're growing up. 
by actually asking them what's important to you, not telling them regularly that they love her, that they do think that she's beautiful or that she's so pretty, noticing in those special times when they dress up. I mean, they say that inside of every woman is a little girl swishing her dress saying, Daddy, do you think I'm pretty? And we tell that to husbands at marriage conferences, but man, it starts young. You'd be amazed at the women that I've talked to or who are showstopper gorgeous, who tell me their dads actually said that they were ugly or that they were homely or who would never tell them those kinds of things. It's, rather, it's voicing to their daughter what she does wrong rather than what she does right, telling her what she should think rather than asking her opinion and not listening to her like she really matters, not valuing her as an individual. It's letting her, their daughter feel like they're just not measuring up. Maybe they're comparing them. I mean, how many families have you heard say, well, she's the pretty one, he's the smart one, or she's the airhead, he's the athlete. And, you know, something that's become so much a part of our society these days is that humor that takes pot shots at everyone. It doesn't hold people up in respect, telling them what they want to hear, but it's like those jokes that just have to poke at somebody and they do it to their kids and those little girls remembering all of it. That's a shame. Bob, do you want to add to that and how fathers can unintentionally wound both their sons and their daughters? Well, I sure agree with what Cheryl said that the answer is to can they is unequivocally, absolutely they can but they don't mean to, as Cheryl so beautifully pointed out. And I think an added issue is men, by our wiring, are fix-it people. We start putting together immediately in our mind when we see an issue or a challenge or a disappointment or a frustration, oh, well, if we do this, this, and then that, it'll take care of it. Well, when a female, the way they're wired, they aren't so much fix-it focused, and this is not pejorative at all. It's just men are naturally fix-it guys. Women have in their wonderful makeup a deep, wonderful feeling focus. That's what makes them great moms. That's what makes them great nesters that create a home that when you walk into, you feel warm, you feel welcome, you feel wow, this is comfortable, because they are so feeling uh, driven, not in the sense of all oh, they care about is emotion, but they feel deeply. Well, when a little girl has something that's bothering her, and she is trying to express that, and dad just tries to fix it, and isn't aware of the feeling, boy, there is a disconnect, and that can hurt and that hurt, if it's repeated many times, it becomes a wound. And my dad just doesn't care. He doesn't understand where I am. And I can speak very straightforwardly to that in that I was raised an only child. And I wasn't around girls in a continuous way until I married one. And so <laughs> then I had two of them as daughters. And wow. The things I never knew about on the hormonal things that happen as girls go from little girls to young women and how that feeling orientation starts so early 
and a fix-it dad who doesn't understand a feeling daughter can really just miss. And they don't mean to, they don't uh, purposefully do it. Mm-hmm. It just happens. So father wounds aside, can a dad have much of an impact on a little girl? I mean, isn't that the mom's job to have an impact on their little daughter? Oh, absolutely. Uh, they can. And I'll say a couple of things and then let's hear from a lady who's been a little girl. Uh, but I, I want to say that one of the most important impacts a dad can have on a daughter is loving their mother and loving their mother a lot and well and openly and affirming and putting his arm around her and kissing her uh, on the cheek and hugging her in front of the kids. Because that little girl is going to watch and determine who is a safe man, who can I trust, who will care for me, who will cherish me. And she's going to watch a lot what her dad does or doesn't do. And I think that's a huge issue for a dad. Oh, absolutely. Cheryl, would you like to add to that? Well, I think that's so important. You know, when you ask me about my own dad, what I remember the most is how much he honored my mother. And there was one thing that would get both my brother and I in more trouble than anything else. And that is if we spoke to her in disrespect, life was not going to go well. You know, I've looked at uh, our own kids. We didn't probably do quite as well with this. But I mean, I remember sitting down to meals every night because back then you ate all your meals at home pretty much. And in all those years, I don't ever remember one time complaining about what was put in front of me because the message was your mother's worked hard doing this. It is your job to enjoy it and appreciate it. And I think those were just one of the many ways that was this expression that women were to be held in high respect and held up and valued. Cheryl's dad taught me a lot by watching him in doing that well. And he taught me as I was dating Cheryl and we later were then engaged and would get married. He would say when a meal was done and I was at their home and we were eating together, he would say, okay, Bob, let's go. And I'd think, go where? And he said to the kitchen, the women prepared it. We're going to clean up after it. Well, man, what a lesson that was for me because my dad, when it was done, just got up from the table and went and read the paper or laid on the couch and watched TV or whatever. And I learned a whole new set of experiences by watching Cheryl's dad love her mother in ways like that, which have now help me to know it's important to continue to love that woman by helping put things in the washer or dryer, take them out of the washer and dryer, or take the garbage out, whatever it is. But that's so important. I I want to say one other thing. I think a dad importantly needs to give focused attention to a daughter. Uh, Not just saying, bye, I'll see you tonight, honey, when I get home, and then getting home sometimes just about the time they're going to bed it's just not enough. They need to have that eye-to-eye contact with dad. And that's how their emotional tank is filled. That's the opening for their emotional tank is that eye. And so he can't just talk to him while he's doing three other things. He's really got to be able to focus on 
what they're about and what they are, as Cheryl said so well, interested in and what's important to them. Without a doubt, Bob, and thank you for sharing the example of Cheryl's father. Cheryl, I've heard a lot of fathers of teenage daughters say there's just so much drama with, with girls in their teens. What can a dad do to be a source of positive influence and loving encouragement to their teenage daughters? Well, and yes, there is drama. A lot, a lot, a lot of drama. <clears throat> and for the same reason that sometimes our teenage boys do kind of the interesting things they do. I mean, it's a tumultuous time. It's a hormonal time. It is a change. She really is becoming that young woman. And it's time that dad make important transitions. You know, I think sometimes what really happens when we have teenagers, whether they are male or female, is we see them as our last shot to get every bit of advice in before they leave home. We got to tell them everything they need to do and they can't forget anything and we override when they're talking. But this is the time to step back. So when you talk with her, ask her more questions then you're telling her answers. You say things like, well, what do you think about that? What are your friends telling you about that? What do you think the wisest choice would be as you face that situation? How could I best support you in all of these things? See, you're, you're communicating that you respect her, that you value her thought process, and you may discover some really cool things. I think it took for me even doing this with our three until our youngest daughter to figure that part out. Before that, I was shoving all this information. But when I began to do that, I realized they really had absorbed far more than I ever understood. Here's another thing for dads that many of them don't do. Be sure you know your daughter's friends' names. If you can't remember them, write them down. If you're a sales guy, if you are successful at just about everything, I can promise that you know your customers' names. You know your clients' names. You know the guys that you're working with. Well, you should know your daughter's friends because that is a huge value to her. Keep a track of it in your phone. When she has a conversation with you, you ask her some of the questions. So how's it going with Sally? What happened with that guy and Mary? and write some things down and then bring it back up in a conversation because see, that's her world. You're entering into what's important. And I get it, you probably do not care. And that's what's important. Be the carpool dad. Listen, you're gonna find out more about what's going on in your daughter's life because here's the deal. When you're driving a car, especially before they turn driving age, they just think you're deaf and dumb. So you're going to hear all that conversation. Don't put your, you know, don't put something on your phone. Don't start listening to something else. Listen to it because you're going to get a view of her world. You're going to see what's happening and you may find some things that you need to know. So be there. And by the way, you might want to take a Tylenol before you do that, because trust me, all that chatter, if it's a carpool group of teenage girls, is going to be loud. It's going to be crazy. But clue in. Here's another one. Regularly take your daughter on a date. Now, I'm not talking about some fancy restaurant. I'm not talking about any big deal, even if it's just to go for ice cream or coffee or whatever it is that she likes. Take her on something. It does not need to cost much. It doesn't even need to be more than about an hour long. But just make it regular. On your way home, here's the things that we learned. You take the slowest route home. You catch every light. You stop 
totally at every stop sign because about two miles from home, if there's something going on in her life, she may say something like, well, you know, by the way, or, you know, my friend is having a problem. Now, these are all keywords for you. This is important. And your daughter is getting ready to tell you something huge, but she's waited until she's two miles from home because if you screw up that, you've lost this chance. This is your chance to make sure you put all that listening stuff back into practice. If you go to in the lecture mode, if you go into panic mode, because she may tell you that one of her friends is now sleeping with her boyfriend or somebody is thinking about an abortion or they're taking drugs or something big, that's when you're going to have to take a deep breath and ask questions and lean in and listen. I would just tell you, that most of the big, serious conversation we had with our teenagers was in our garage because it had started two miles away. And we always tried to add about an extra 30 minutes. This is when Bob and I did it separately to the time we thought we'd be home so that we wouldn't cut a conversation too soon. And, you know, those questions involve, what do your friends think about this? But you want to get on their wavelength. So it's just taking that kind of time to hear what's going on in their world. And again, they're getting ready to launch in a few years. You got to see where they are and maybe what else you need to be around to help them do before they leave home. That's fantastic advice, Cheryl. I, I, I love it. I mean, get asking the questions not only shows that you're interested, you want to be involved, but it also gets the, the child to think on a deeper level. That's Absolutely. fantastic. That's fantastic. Thank you. So, Bob, it's safe to assume that most kids don't like boundaries. Why are boundaries important? And how can dads set boundaries that help the child rather than hurt them? Oh, that's a great question. Because let's face it, most people, as we come through different stages in our life, we look at boundaries and we see them as bad things. Isn't that interesting? We see them as holding back something from us are holding back some experience from us, but God doesn't see them that way. God sees boundaries at things that are very good for us and for our safety. So a boundary done well for a child is for their good and for their safety. And it's a great illustration in the scripture. There are so many of them, but right at the very beginning in the garden, when God had created Adam and Eve and given the entire run of paradise. And he said, you can have anything here. You are in total control of and given dominion of everything I have created for your pleasure, except for one thing. You cannot eat of the fruit. Doesn't say apple, by the way, uh, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in that day, he said, you'll surely die. And think about it. It was for their good and their safety that he put the boundary there, because he said, if you transgress the boundary, it's going to be to your detriment and to your loss to the point of death. He says that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, one of the most beautiful is in Deuteronomy chapter 31, where he says, Today, I give you a choice, a choice between good and evil, between blessing and cursing, and you will make the choice. And if you choose to follow 
my guidelines, I will bless you in all that you do, and you will live long, and you will inherit the land that I am about to give you. And then he says, but if your heart turns away from me, and you make other things your God instead of me, then you shall end up, because of your choice, follow, uh, dealing with the uh, consequences. Wow. And he makes it very, very clear. I've given you this for your blessing, but if you choose not to adhere to the boundary, you're the one who will suffer the consequences by the choice that you yourself have made. One of the things that Cheryl and I learned, and, and we're still learning with grandkids, is when a parent makes a boundary, there are four things that are very, very helpful to do. Number one, make clear what the boundary is. When that is clear, just explain why is the boundary being put in place. And by the way, dads, because I said so doesn't work. It just causes more than anything resistance and almost, especially in boys, a, a tendency to say, well, we'll see about that. So make sure that you tell them why it's important and being put in place. Number three, acknowledge the fact you're going to have the choice of following the boundary but you've also got the choice not to follow it. And that will be your choice. But if you don't follow it, here's the consequence. And the consequence will be your choice. So that's just what I wanna be clear about. Here's the boundary. Here's why it's important. Here's the reality that you can choose which you're going to do to follow it or not follow it. And if you don't, there's going to be a consequence. And I would just say one thing to dads. Dads, I'm not talking about being a hard-handed disciplinarian. But if you say there will be a consequence, make sure the consequence happens. I am so saddened by so many parents that I see. And, and they say things like, I know I've told you five times before, but I'm telling you, if you do this one more time that'd be six. Therefore, you shouldn't have to do that. The consequence should have been happening at the end of the first time when they breached the boundary. So boundaries are for your good. You're there for the safety of the person they're given to. And they need to be understood. You've got a choice. You do have freedom of choice. God built that in to life. And if you disobey the boundary, the consequences are going to be yours by your choice. But one thing I'd like to close with, and that's Cheryl and I learned something really important with teenage kids. If there's a boundary, like if you're ever at a party and there's drinking or drugs, we would hope you would never be willing to stay there. Now, if that is all that's said, then suddenly the child finds themselves in a no-win position between a rock and a hard place. So I'm supposed to tell my friends that because you're doing this or because you're not doing that, then I got to leave. That, that is humiliating to a young person. That is threatening to a young person. So we said to our kids, if you're ever at a party or a place where something's happening that you are not comfortable with, we want you to have the total freedom to say, you know, 
suddenly I'm not feeling well at all. I mean, I'm, I think I'm going to be ill. And I think I, I, I better go home because I'm, I don't want to throw up in your home. Well, we had to make very clear to them, okay, we understand it's not exactly the truth, but what we are wanting to do is give you an acceptable way out of a boundary we've established without you feeling between a rock and a hard place. You two are dishing out some fantastic advice here. You know, I, I love the point you're making about choices and consequences, and also how too often people see boundaries as limiting them when really the boundaries there for their protection and their defense. Yeah, yeah and Michael, if we, if we as parents don't help them uh, understand boundaries and their consequences when they are broached, they're going to live life dealing with boundaries at a job, uh, in the military, in so many settings in which they will find themselves. And if we don't help them know how to handle those and navigate them wisely, they're going to have a lifetime filled with really challenging consequences. You're absolutely right, Bob. And you're helping them learn how to set boundaries by giving them the reason why you're setting the boundary. That's, that's so important. So Cheryl, if a girl's dad is either physically absent or if the father is present, but emotionally uh, just not engaged, what happens inside that girl? What happens to her? You know, uh, Dr. H. Norman Wright, who's a well-known counselor, has written some great books, says, his, this is his quote, a girl abandoned by the first man in her life feels tossed aside, unworthy or incapable of receiving a man's love. Disengaged fathers most often cause women to struggle with three big factors, rejection, abandonment, and commitment. And I think we see that so often. And a woman sometimes doesn't even realize why she feels like she does. That sense of rejection can go down deep and she's not even aware of it until she can't find good, positive relationships later. Well said, well said. And Bob, to kind of piggyback off of that, when a, a girl's parents go through a divorce and the father has to, to leave, what struggles does that cause for that little girl, um, both in her life as a youngster, but then also later in her adult life and even her marriage? Boy, what a profound question, Michael. Um, there's actually a term for it called adult children of divorce. And I know you know that being a licensed therapist yourself. Uh, when a girl has a dad who in the divorce leaves, there are several things that can happen, and I'll just mention four. There are more than this, but boy, here are some real key ones. Number one, that young lady will suddenly feel a pressure to grow up too fast because one of the people put in her life by God in a marriage that was meant to be for a lifetime suddenly isn't there, or at least not there consistently, and as a result, of having that security, and Cheryl so beautifully mentioned earlier, of both mom and dad present, suddenly she finds herself pressured to grow up way before she needed to and to assume responsibility sometimes that isn't theirs, especially if the mom who was involved in the divorce has been wounded, 
Cheryl and I have seen it too often, and I know you've seen it, where suddenly the mom starts looking to the daughter as the confidant. And then suddenly that daughter finds herself almost becoming the mother figure to her wounded mom. And you talk about a pressure on a young woman that wasn't made to be handling that at that age. And it causes some significant challenges that will go on and exacerbate all the way through her growing up life. A second one is a drive to control circumstances. There will be a tendency in girls whose dads leave because of a divorce to try in the future to control circumstances as much as they can. And the reason they're trying to control them primarily is they feel like if I can control the circumstance, I can keep other bad things from happening, like dad leaving. And sadly, uh, it doesn't work that easily. A third one is a fear of conflict. They saw the conflict that happened between mom and dad, uh, sometimes even to the point of uh, violence or abuse, tragically. But even when it's less than that, when it's arguing or sometimes yelling or just freezing each other out emotionally, they fear conflict because they've seen it firsthand. They don't want to experience it again. So it's easy for them to be tempted to become a, a either a people pleaser and just become a doormat and go along to avoid conflict or to retreat. When they sense conflict is growing, they just go back into a shell. And either of those choices uh, are detrimental to healthy relationships. The last one is they would easily find it uh, a tendency to avoid setting boundaries. And the reason being, they feel like, man, I've tried to appease everybody just so things would be more stable in my life. And, and so things would be more copacetic in my journey. But in trying to appease everybody, they forgot how to set boundaries with anybody. And as a result of those boundaries not being set in a healthy manner in relationships, uh, they can be taken advantage of. Those are four things that I see happen a lot in uh, young women who go through a dad and a mom divorcing and the dad leaving, even if they still once in a while uh, are involved in the life. It's not on a consistent day in and day out basis. Those are some very, uh, very hard truths, Bob, but, you know, unfortunately you are correct. And the divorce can, can take a toll on children like that. So being that we've examined and looked at daughters and father wounds, Cheryl, if there's a young lady or an adult woman who's listening right now, who's experienced father wounds, what are some steps or some advice that you would recommend to them to help heal and bring wholeness for their future? You know, I'd say, first of all, you probably need some time to grieve. You lost something. You might not have even realized that you felt like you lost something until you've heard some of these thought processes, these principles. Maybe you've just always felt that there was a hole there, but you're now recognizing maybe there's a reason that you feel a little empty or rejected or abandoned or you struggle with commitment. So as you take a look at this, secondly, pray. Ask God to point you to the help that you need. Maybe it's going to start with a book. 
Maybe it's going to be a deep friendship or a support group that is dealing with this specifically, or perhaps you're going to need to find a counselor like you, Michael, who can help them to navigate just how deep this wound is and to take a look at what's gone on inside of you because of it, how to begin the healing process. And then as you pray, ask the Lord to help you to see what are the things that can be changed and what are the things that can't be changed and kind of know that difference between the two. You might have a dad that you could go back to and talk through these things. Maybe your dad, he's not with us anymore and you can't. There's going to be some different ways you're going to want to deal with this, but recognizing that you have been wounded and making proactive steps toward getting healing can help change everything. Listen, there has been so much divorce. There have been absent fathers. There have been broken relationships. There has been abuse. That doesn't mean it's the end for you. It could be that there is going to be a prayer or a need for you to find somebody else who can step into the gap and help be some of what you missed out on. But you know, there are some great solutions. And Michael, I know you probably have given those out to a whole lot of people. I want to just say this, as you begin your journey toward healing, as a woman out there, you are not alone. You are part of, I hope you're a part of the body of Christ. I hope you know the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you have a church maybe that you can turn to, but there are lots of resources for you. We would hate for you to feel like you've got to stay where you are. Having faith and, and support like that definitely helps when they're going through the healing process. Yes. Bob, would you like to add to that? I think uh, one that I would just say uh, a focus a point on real quickly, Cheryl did it great, but she did mention one that uh, I had personal experience with, not as a woman, obviously, but as a guy. And that was uh, when you come to the grapple with and admit the wound that's there. If your dad's gone, you can't find him. You don't know where he is or he's passed away. What do you do there? And I would say to any lady who may be uh, listening, who had a father wound and you don't know where your dad is, you can't find him. There's not a practical way to get to him or he's passed away. Uh, I want to encourage you to write a letter. And there were some things that I would encourage you to do in the letter. And remember, you're not writing the letter for your dad. You're writing the letter for you because it's a way of completing the goodbye with your dad and of gaining some closure. That's really, really important. You're doing it for you. Start out with some things you appreciate. Now, there may be somebody who's listening who said, appreciate, he was a jerk. Let me just give you one caveat. Who was it that allowed you to have life. It was a mom and a dad. And even if he was a jerk, you are blessed to have life because he was involved in that procreative activity that gave you that life. So, you know, at least there's one thing you can say, I'm so thankful that at least my dad helped give me life. Uh, tell any things in that letter that you're thankful for dad. Uh, number two, Anything that you miss about dad, maybe he had a laugh that while he may have been a jerk or hurt you and wounded you, you remember the laugh and you really valued that laugh when you heard it. Put that in there. And then 
Third, what are the few things you wish had been different? And write down what you felt when they weren't different, because that's important. You got to express what you felt that led to the wound, because all wounds have a feeling attached to them of hurt, betrayal, anger, um, distrust, whatever the case may be. What was it that you experienced in the feeling area? Uh, the fourth thing I'd say is make a choice to forgive. And here again, like the letter, the forgiveness is not for your dad, it's for you. Because if you don't forgive, if I don't forgive, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It doesn't work that way. So just choose, and it is a choice, to forgive your dad for the wound that may have been caused. And then just sign it off. Or if you want to, bring it up to date and close it. What do I mean by bring it up to date? Oh, by the way, dad, you might be interested to know that I'm now married. I have two grown kids and now three grandkids or whatever the case may be. You're just bringing it again, the closure and you're ending on a positive note. So I find something that simple and you may think it's elementary. You may think it's silly. You may feel foolish writing the letter. Oh, but I guarantee you and tell you from firsthand experience, it will relieve a burden from your life and heart if you do it and follow through with it. You're 100% right, Bob. You forgive the other person, not for them, but for you. Bob and Cheryl, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you to our audience. I'm your host, Michael Conant. We look forward to having you join us again next time on High Impact Dance. You can find out more about Bob and Cheryl Records Ministries and books by going to TLIMinistries.com or BobRecord.com. That's record spelled with two C's, R-E-C-C-O-R-D. Our host, Michael Conant's book, A Work in Progress, can be found at DPZTechnology.com. You could be a part of this mission to spread this word to others. If you haven't already done so, please take a moment to subscribe to High Impact Dads on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. When you do, leave a five-star rating and write a nice review. Every five-star rating, review, and every new subscription truly does make it easier for those who need this information the most to find it. Please pass this on to anyone you may know struggling with father wounds.